Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast, a no-bullshit discussion about reimagining religion and remixing spiritual practices in a way that's secular and inclusive to all. I'm your host, Sanson Jones, and today we won't be joined by my co-host James Croft because he's on holiday. Uh, the two of us are obsessed with showing how anyone can have the benefits of a spiritual or religious life, even if they're not religious, because we aren't. Uh, and in 2013, I founded Sunday Assembly, a worldwide movement of non-religious congregations. And James is the leader of the Ethical Society of St. Louis, one of America's largest humanist congregations. In April 2020, I got in touch with James about writing a book on lifefulness, uh, the practice that adapts the lessons of the spiritual community in a way that everyone can take part. He said yes. We then thought, why not turn all the interviews into a podcast? And that's what we're doing right here. Today, I'm speaking to Dan Snow, who is one of Britain's most recognisable historians. Uh, Dan's a BBC TV presenter, filmmaker, author, podcaster, and even runs his own history channel, History Hit. History, but masculine! Look, the guy loves history and is on a mission to pump as much of it out there as possible. Uh, he and I first worked together when he got in touch in 2013. Was it 14, 2013, asking if Sunday Assembly wanted to host a secular Remembrance Sunday service. It turned out that it was Britain's first ever non-religious commemoration of the war dead. And because Dan is not only interested in these huge philosophical human questions from a historical perspective, he's also a passionate humanist and regularly campaigns on issues that are close to his heart. One of the main reasons I wanted to speak to Dan is because I believe he's created a sort of spirituality of history. He has found something that moves him deeply, then dedicated his days to living it as truly as possible. In this conversation, we did all of that. We really unpacked what he did to, you know, really live out his meaning. But what I really love is that we got to this moment when he speaks very openly about his mental health struggles and he said it's the first time that he's ever discussed it in public. So uh, alongside this, there are insights into community, his ritual practices and a really handy tip for looking around museums. James will be back next week, so please do enjoy the podcast while I'm not being hamstrung by his erudition and keen intelligence. Hello, everyone. I'm here with uh, Dan Snow uh, off the TV, uh, the history guy who is decided he didn't just want to be a TV uh, presenter and author. You now have your own, even you've got your own history, uh, CNN. You've got your own network. You're like the Fox News of the past. <laughs> yeah, the Fox News. I wish, dude. I wish I... <laughs> But yeah, I've got my own little thing going. Yeah, the little history, history sort of online history channel. It's great fun podcasting what you're doing, you know, just reaching out to people. It's lovely. You are a humanist as well as a historian. Uh, we've worked together at the Sunday Assembly when we did the first humanist or secular remembrance service. And the question that we always kick off with is what was uh, or was there a religious spiritual or sort of philosophical background in your childhood there was a lot of just ba just sort of white noise christianity knocking about i mean not not serious but dad we used to tease him he, he used to get quite nostalgic on christmas eve and want to go to 
the sing the singing in the local church, and we used to think that was hysterical because he never mentioned church the rest of the year, and and, the, and was often quite anti-clerical and rude about church and archbishops and all that kind of stuff, in a kind of urban liberal sort of journalisty kind of way. But yeah, he had this one moment each year. And we, and I think we used to sort of, there were probably a few children's illustrated Bible stories knocking around more than today. Mm. You know, probably a bit of Daniel in the lion's den, a bit of Moses. You know, I think it was just in, I think it was in the, I mean, maybe I'm just a terrible atheist these days, but my kids don't even have that. There's just not, you know, with those Greek myths around, they might stumble across a Daniel in the lion's den every so often, but there's not, not, I think when I was young, it was clear there was a, kind of basic Christian sort of vibe going on. And my grandma was a lazy, you know, she'd occasionally say, oh, I think I, God's brilliant. And then the rest of the time, slag off Christian. You know, so there, there was, there was, I, I was aware that I was part of a, of a kind of family that was not vaguely Christian. Mm, the, uh, yeah, that sounds quite difficult. I mean, and even that thing you bring up there is something that I think about. Like I, my mum was religious. And even though I sort of got off that sort of, of Christianity relatively early, there's still like, how will our children understand the past? I remember when I was sort of studying sort of Paradise Lost or even Shakespeare, at, like doing uh, English A-levels and GCSEs. And, you know, just because of like how we grew up and how it was so much part of our culture, being able to sort of like get the references. But now I think, you know, like how will I go and teach my son Ragnar you know these things because otherwise it's just not they're not they're not going to appear in his head no i think ragnar is going to be more familiar with the old uh norse myths if his name's anything to go by <laughs> the, the, yeah the uh the lothbrok family tales but yeah i i think that you will just have you know in that we didn't know anything about sikhism or buddhism and had never heard mm. of it i suppose well that will a religious education will now be what it should be which is learning about religious and religions, faith of the world and of history in order to understand what's going on in the world. But without having that assumption that there was a, there was one that was true. <laughs> like, you know, they, there's these other people believe these other funny things, but uh, you, you're like, thank goodness that you happen to be born into the true faith, you know, which I think was the sort of, <laughs> what a coincidence, Yeah, just amazing coincidence, happy coincidence. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that will, so I hope that my kids will come across Judeo-Christian religion, like, and understand that they are basically kind of culturally part of it. I'm, you know, and, and, but, but with the same academic sort of interest as they would approach, uh, um, you know, Buddhism or, um, other, other faiths. Yeah. And uh, then if you now go and, because you are a, a humanist, uh, what, like, if you go and look at religion, uh, what is like one aspect of it, which, and it's a quite a big thing, which you think uh, is something which would be, we could do more of in the world or is something that you would like more of in your life? Is there a... Well, well definitely, definitely um, fraternity, brotherhood, sisterhood, you know, going to, going to buildings and hanging out. Um, no, no question, right? Mm. I've been lucky enough to film uh, in temples and religious sites all over the world and whether it's uh, extraordinary sort of the, the, the giant um, food operations that that Sikhs in Delhi run and to, to feed members of their own community, but also, you know, also any other people passing by, you know, and they're all there on a Friday night, you know, just like with wonderful food, all chatting and having a laugh and eating together and giving free food away. Uh, that kind of stuff I look at and think, man, that is just, that is fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sad uh, and, and, and in doing that, I think I'm, I think I'm making a fairly obvious point that we're all talking about now, which is, you know, we are all in this 
big, big existential question at the moment about are we all just going to sit in little flotation devices plugged into Netflix, floating about in our little orb? Or are we going to have human relationships with people? And that includes members of your own bloody family. It might include mm. your, your partner half the time who, you know, a lot of us have forgotten to even acknowledge. And so so I, I think it's part of that wider conversation, but I think we can learn from, from faiths and, and religions. And actually, weird old-fashioned things like political parties as well. Like, yeah, good to get people into buildings to do things together and protect, but perhaps to sing because singing's nice too. And just to and to experience community, like fellowship with each other, I think is really important. I wish I did more of. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously that that's why I do what I do. It's quite weird at this moment with the old COVID hanging around, where the sorts of events that I want to host are like every single definition of a super spreader event where it's like singing, laughing and people talking to each other. It's basically like a sociopaths, like a sort of, you know, suicide cult in the offing, just having a sing song and a cup of tea afterwards. But, but as, as you've said before, Samson, it's not a cult. (laughs) It's not a cult. Uh, the uh, yeah we had at Sunday Assembly Leicester it was organised by uh, two lovely Sikhs and their family who were like doing that like the young kids playing in the band operating the lights doing and so they did the lunga afterwards I think it's called the lunga and that was a and that's what you that happens after Sikh temple where everyone can eat and it was created actually in reaction to the caste system in India because like everyone could be around a table and like that's like a super like eating together is a revolutionary move when you are like in a country where like someone can't even let their shadow fall on you because they are untouchable I mean just sort of like a you know crazy practice yeah and and as you can see that's why it was pretty pretty transgressive like it's pretty revolutionary and you're on the gurdwara and you're you know you're enjoying your langar and like that is that was a it's a revolutionary it's a revolutionary Mm. act that i I agree it's so cool but and we can learn we can learn a a huge amount from that then uh, at the top we then have so with lifefulness what we did is we looked at practices of how you could go and build congregations and we've identified six key we don't know whether they're pillars or practices or principles and it's a sort of like rapid fire uh starter for six uh the first one's quite a biggie uh because at the heart of every spiritual community is an ultimate meaning so what is your ultimate meaning uh on earth my ultimate meaning on earth i think i think meaning for me uh, as i get older it becomes clearer because i I think you go down a, I think you go down a cul-de-sac in your twenties and thirties around, you know, about around hedonism, around, mm. you know, uh, drinking, uh, drugs, whatever it is, sex, and I think I feel I feel now much more middle-aged, but and I think in a happy way. I think I understand that what gives life meaning is is passion, um, is 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 love for people around you, love of your community, like love of the things that you're interested in doing, going out, sailing, feeling that the sunrise, the, the, the first touch of the sun on, the, on, the, on your cheek when you're out sailing with your kids, as I was the other day at sunrise. The, the, you know, that, that, the soft kiss of the southwesterly breeze in the channel as you're oh. sailing in front of it. Um, obviously, time spent in nature, obviously, you know, woods, uh, in, in the new forest where I live, people, uh, this is, there's a new thing to do, right, which is so funny. But it's true, it's called forest bathing, which means going oh, into yes. the woods, right? It means going into the... <laughs> 
going into the fucking woods. <laughs> sorry, I'm forest bathing. Yeah, sorry, I've got to do some forest bathing. I'm Netflix bathing, thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, classics are human, and I'm going to charge for it soon, probably. That's the next stage. Re- release merch. But yeah, so I, but I, you know, we, me and the family, we go in there, and you lie down, listen to the trees, look at them, and, I, and all of that has been brought into, con- into sharp focus by the fact that we do have now these digital devices that, that are the opposite of those things. So... So I think meaning is, uh, I think it's about, yeah, I think it's about love and connection with those around you and, and for the world. And, and I guess deep down, perhaps it's the historian in me, but a huge sense of ha- gratefulness to be alive, to be healthy in this moment. Um, because I spend all my time researching and talking about people who are dead and often who died incredibly awfully. I just don't, just come off a podcast about the Irish potato famine, the great famine. I'm made aware in my professional life just how lucky I am and, and how lucky, just apart from anything else, to be alive and to be, uh, to be pain-free and healthy and to be surrounded by loved ones. So, so for me, that's meaning. That's a long answer, sorry, but I think that's my meaning. That's great. I didn't tell you that these, uh, I do mark these right or wrong and that is wrong, I'm afraid. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the uh, yeah, and then the next one, the other five parts, more like activities. What for you is your secular worship? Your like uh, sometimes we call it celebratory practice. The thing which connects you to, you know. And you sort of mentioned some things you do, like activities which are personal or in a group. Yeah, no, no question. That's hiking in the mountains, getting up high in the mountains, and walking mm. with, with loved ones. It was my my wife and I ten year wedding anniversary last weekend, and we went up to Scotland. We climbed to climbed to a high spot, which is just what felt like the natural thing to do. And and I just that's for me. Yeah, no question. That's my act of worship. Uh, I am a big. Uh, long walk big long walker and it is just so great to go and you know get into that weird zone i I quite like really do it ever did a 50k walk in the pyrenees in one day and i would and by the end of it i was just like i'm not even sort of in control of myself it's some weird fugue state I, I agree. So then, that fugue state is. I totally agree. It's very. It's very special. It's very weird. But it's. I don't think it's good for you. Yeah. And then uh, community is the other key part of a sort of spiritual life. Where do you find your meaningful community? Uh, I am uh, very lucky. I've moved down. Um, we moved down to this the countryside, and I was worried about it initially. I didn't really know anyone down here, and it's through. It's, it's a bit cliche, but it's through. Well, actually, it's through uh, kids, um, kids, pa- parents of kids. If the kids make friends, and you get really embarrassed about it, and then you end up becoming friends with their parents, and then, mm. and then like things like the you know the new like there's a little sailing club where very very people of very different backgrounds all gather around who live within a bicycle ride of the thing, and I found myself kind of wanting to go down there, and I found myself this is this is what it is to be a, a sort of a man of a certain age. You find yourself thinking, oh, I might potter down there and help with the anti-fouling with the lads, you know. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so I think it is, I think it's, see, we do seek community, don't we? And uh, and I'm lucky yeah. to have found one down here. I'm, I'm blessed. Yeah, I think there's also something quite interesting about when you go to a place where you're like, if I, if I met you in London or in a place where I can choose from infinite friends and go and like almost look at the world like Netflix and find exactly the thing that I want, I wouldn't be friends with you. Uh, you know, but then it's actually because we've got to that we realise that we can go and connect, and that's the th- and that's what was the problem with our echo chambers and our self sorting, our partisanship nowadays is like I'm friends. With, I think most of my friends down here probably voted for Brexit, and I 
I absolutely wouldn't be friends with anyone <laughs> to face it if I had a, if I had an infinite choice, as you say, right? But but like you just kind of go, well, you live there. Um, I see yeah. you, I see you every day, and you, and you're really nice. So um, yeah, yeah, you lent you you helped with the anti fouling. Yeah, so I'm in. Like let's you know let's just not talk about yeah. Brexit. But apart from that, we can let's be friends, right? Yeah, and then uh, what is another core cool part of it is this idea of personal growth. Like how, where do you see that for you at the moment? Uh, or like a, a way of looking at sometimes it's quite helpful of like, if you imagine yourself 10 years ago, how have you changed in those 10 years? Well, I think, I, I think I've, uh, the, the way I've changed, I have em, embraced the concept of personal growth. Like, again, I think, I think for about, you know, when you discover, you know, you go through puberty and discover your balls and sort of get discovered Great. alcohol and stuff, you I thought this is so perfect. I don't. I hope there isn't any more personal growth. I mean, I'm just so happy. <laughs> well, maybe some personal growth. I don't. Well, I don't want to make judgments about your undercarriage. But no. So I, I kind of, and and now I realise that what is nice about the world is making time to like learn the names of birds or wildflowers and doing it with my kids and and sort of, and and realising that you can keep learning all your life. And I never believed. I didn't really believe that before. I guess I thought. At 20, well, that's me. I know everything I'm going to know. So I'm done, thanks. <laughs> tough 15 years of education, but I'm, I'm good. So like the Matrix, you know, you just download something. So whereas, in, in fact, I really feel now excited about the things that I, I can read and, and try and learn more about and I'm not scared of anymore, whether that, and, and even that might extend to learning a foreign language, you never know. But I, but I, uh, I, I do feel very excited about the possibility of growth. And partly because my job is interviewing new historians every day and learning. Just my job is to learn on behalf yeah. of the audience. And so um, I, I feel I'm doing well in that department. I've learned a lot. I'm growing personally. Thank goodness, Dan. We were all very concerned there for a bit. <laughs> uh, the, uh, and then how about on a psychological level? Is that something that you sort of look at, like either through therapy or uh, other sort of modes of inquiry? Yeah, sorry, 100%. You're absolutely right. So the other thing is understanding now that the understanding that not everything doesn't have to be bloody euphorically brilliant all the time and I've I've had my first had my first anxieties and just sort of, you know, I wouldn't call them depressions but just moments of going, "Hey, why aren't I feeling totally brilliant today? What's going on?" You know, this is like yeah. I'm no longer a 28-year-old skipping down the road to the pub with a lovely job and no financial, you know, no dependents or problems or mortgages. And and I found that like, "Oh my god, I'm, I freaked me out initially." And now I kind of ride it, I go with it, understand it. I try and create men stillness in me, uh, hammock time for the brain, you know, I you sort of just go actually, oh, nice. do you know what? Let's it's okay. You, you just need to you just need to recharge, reset. So uh, and and also we we had a bereavement uh, we lost a very late term um, uh, yeah. pregnancy and I went to therapy for the first time about that and it was very very good and and really positive so yeah lots lots of and that's all happened in the last ten years so I feel like a different I feel like a different person to be honest I really do uh, than and I and I am physically like none of this stuff my hair my skin my nails they weren't here 10 years ago yeah you know they they replaced the stuff that was there before uh you're the sort of uh the philosopher's dan snow or is it theseus's uh trireme i can't remember there's various uh there's various people who keep on swapping or uh triggers triggers broom, broom. i think triggers broom is the, the more realistic i would like to compare myself to theseus yeah. but yeah does it feel like because i i remember when uh, and it was a bit it's maybe about 
seven years ago that I, I went to a CBT therapist and she was, she said, oh yeah, well, sort of like when you go and get these, uh, this anxiety, and I remember going like, uh-huh, I don't think so. If there's one thing old Sanderson Jones, Mr. Celebrity Lifey, go over the mountain, woo, 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 uh, guys, he's not like anxious. This is like anxiety is, uh, I've seen Woody Allen movies. Uh, I'm not like him in many ways. Uh, like, yeah, how does it feel like, and I don't think I can talk publicly about having ADHD, but there's still a bit of me which finds it a bit weird to talk about an anxiety. Like, it, it, I don't know. I agree. It feels odd, isn't it? And it feels particularly odd because, of course, we're all getting cleverer and better. But at the same time, we're all putting stuff on social media to say the opposite, really. We're, we're part, I'm, I'm very much part of the problem with social media, not the solution. I mean, I, I'd, even when I was struggling quite a lot with career, anxiety, family, I, I, was, I was still putting up pictures of me at sunsets on castles going, hashtag, <laughs> life's brilliant, hashtag... Uh, you know, live your, live your goddamn dreams, right? And I think, and I, I look... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was a bit irresponsible, really. And actually, I, to be honest, the first time we're talking about it now, really, with you, I, 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 I feel guilty about that. Um, whether I act on that guilt is, is another thing. But yeah, I experienced, like you said, I sort of went, I, my, my wife does, I had like, you know, I was painful and my, my chest was tightening, muscles were tightening my chest. And I was like, but yeah, well, and she was like, I think that might be what you call anxiety. And I was like, of, what are you talking about? Of course it's not. I rode, I rode, God damn it. This is just not a thing. And, and so learning to be, learning about that is, is part of it. And, and then the joyful thing is like you, you know, we're now talking about it together. The minute I talked about it to my friends, even my most sort of alpha friends, that I was to, they were like, oh yeah, I had a spell a couple of years ago. I fainted, I walked into GP, fainted. I was so overworked and anxious. And I was, <laughs> yes. What? Well, thanks for telling me, man. And like, this is, you know, some legendary footballer mate of mine. And I'm just like, come on, man. You could have told me that you were, you were finding, you know, the onset of, of grown up life a little bit tricky as well. And, you know, I was like, Jesus, come on. So I think it's best we do talk about these things. But it can be quite tricky. Like I find, particularly on social media, where you have a, like if you were to say, uh, I'm Dan Snow and I'm worried about my career. Like, you know, that's got ramifications. That's got ramifications. Because you're, and also not just for you, but for like people who work at History Hit. And you're like, it's, and it's, and so I, I'm like, uh, I think one of the things I'm relatively good at is talking about this stuff. But even then I'm just like, oh, well, I might be going to an investor or like a, a client or, and then be like, and then there'll be some absolute bellend who doesn't have the self-awareness to sort of like realize that they're fueled by anxiety. Who's like, oh, I'm super confident. I've got no worries. You're like, no, look behind. And yeah, it's got, yeah, it's a weird, it's a really, I haven't yet found the right way to do it, uh, but it is, it's not as easy as just like saying, oh, I get sad sometimes. Or maybe it is. I don't know. No, I think that's, I, I love the idea of you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, of course, I'm really, really anxious about this, but can I, can I have half a million quid, please? Because I think it might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Particularly around ADHD. It's like, oh, God, I lost my child's like water bottle in my own pocket or whatever else it might be, which is, just seems impossible. Uh, but, but actually, here, no, 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 no. But, but put an extra zero on the end, mate. Uh, who's counting? Uh, and then the other uh, sort of two parts which you can see in uh, congregational communities is like serving others. It's like serving others and changing the world. And so like, where do you get that sense of serving others uh, in your life? So that is, um, 
you know, that is something that is absolutely right. They kind of com- Americans always call it community, which makes me want to kill myself. But they are right. They are right. That that kind of the shorthand they have, I think, is right. And I, um, I don't do enough of that. I'm, I'm very selfish. I'm very selfish at having young kids to give them time. Um, I do. I go to a lot of schools. I go to a lot. I do a lot of kind of. Uh, I tell. I talk to kids about like. I, I, I go to um, all of the schools in my area. Talk about history when invited. Um, often they don't invite me. <laughs> if, you, if you're not invited and you turn up for the school, Dan <laughs> Snow here again. <laughs> yeah, I don't get invited twice very often. No, so so I do that. Um, I, I'm kind of my my wife. Uh, this is the, a cop out, but as a couple, we do a lot. My wife is literally a philanthropist and and spends her entire time. Uh, giving money away to charities and 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 her own charity in particular and doing amazing things. So we do a lot together in the criminal justice world, particularly around women, criminal ju- justice involved mm. women. Um, and so, but but she's absolutely does far more than me in that respect. Yeah. I, I kind of look forward to. I, I still, you know, and this is probably what really um, psychotic uh, middle aged men say. I kind of professionally, I look forward to doing more of that when I am less driven by professional ambition. Yeah. I feel that, I, f- I feel I've got, I, I feel I have, I- I'm really excited about, in fact, I'm inspired by my wife. I-, I My dream, I would love to make money in order to to give it. I think that's just such a cool concept to just give it, to give it away to yeah. wicked projects. And there's a couple of sailing charities I'm involved with, young people. There's the, the, the I, I do a bit of work with a, um, the only comprehensive school in the country to have a, a yachting team. <laughs> really? They're an inner city school in North in Tottenham in North London. And and it's one of those amazing and oh, that's like the Swiss Navy or one of those really weird <laughs> the Bolivian Navy. And they're the only uh state school ever to compete in the um fast net race, uh you know, the famous fast net, you know, yachting race. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm quite involved with them. And of course, this, you know, the, as you know, cause you know, we, you know, these things like these kids, uh, are, are all from, you know, Greek city Academy. Right. And they, uh, they, they nearly all, um, uh, kids of color from, from various, from various, um, uh, families from all over the world. They've recently arrived in UK. And of course the graduates are all like getting brilliant jobs in on top sailing teams. They all love sailing and they're just disappearing off to like, you know, yeah. crew these massive yachts in the Caribbean, have a wild old time and racing for the UK. And I mean, it's just an amazing thing. So, you know, obviously when you invest in young people, no matter what their background, outlook and geography or whatever, they, they all have potential and skills and things. So I'm super excited by those things. And I've laid a few foundations and I know what I'm going to do when I win the lottery and, and, and can give more of my time to that. But I, I but that, that is, that is something that obviously brings enormous happiness. Yeah. And it is that tricky. I mean, I don't know why it's, uh, particularly men i think we've got a desire to prove ourselves professionally and there's all manner of things locked around status and what have you it does seem to be a bit harder to go and you know make time to do that uh particularly when there's so many pressures on uh the last one that is here and this is our translation of evangelism uh you know which is uh not about you knocking on every well actually describing you turning up at schools and just talking to them about history that might be your evangelism but uh what is uh yeah how do you like contribute to sort of changing the world or like what issues do you really get 
get behind? Well, I think that it's important to distinguish between getting behind it, like tweeting about issues, which is easy to do, and then actually trying to do something about them. And I'm obviously a lot better at the, the former. I mean, I'm obviously super involved, well, super terrified by the climate emergency and um, climate crisis. Um, I've made some films with Friends of the Earth uh, last year. Uh, the, the, the ambition they have to try and double the amount of tree cover in the UK feels like an achievable. I quite like that. It feels like something you can get your head into. Yeah. And, and we've done a lot of filming in woods and around woodland and people talk about the importance of trees and from every poets and scientists. And that was very cool. So that's a kind of campaign. Um, and so, yeah, so climate crisis stuff. Uh, at the moment, I think historians generally can be talking about like the march of nationalism. You see Trump, you see Brexit, Viktor Orban in in, uh, in um, Eastern Europe, uh, Hungary. And so I think we, p- people that do study the past, talk about the past, I do feel there's an opportunity now to point out why nationalism tends to lead to catastrophic outcomes. And so... I, I feel that there's a bit of evangelism to be done around that and 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 why breaking the law is bad. You know, why Trump is bad. <laughs> what, what, an in, what an insight. Yeah, no, so, so this is why I'm here, but this is why I pay the big bucks. I'm here all week. <laughs> British government's casual breaking the law around this treaty thing's going on at the moment. Trump breaking norms and laws in the US. Like, that is actually really, really important. And... And you should get you should get excited and and upset by the small stuff initially, you know, like a tiny tra- change to a trade bill because the, the big stuff comes grows out of the small stuff, right? The big stuff, yeah. and, the, and then you're only one step away. From, you know what? So anyway, so I, I think so. Basically, I'm I'm a bit of a scattergun, and I'm also probably fairly cliche as a sort of liberal, uh, a sort of liberal observer. I don't have, I, I'm predictable. It's climate crisis. It's it's nationalism. It's and it's religion as well. You know, I think that. Um, in my uh, my friends will tell you that uh, they don't want to get me on the topic of organised formal religion, but um, you know, I, uh, there's yeah. well, I'm so delighted to have you on uh, a podcast which is sort of uh, about uh, about religion. <laughs> safe space. This is a safe space, buddy. I mean, what's weird about the safe spaces, though? You know, I talk to you and I talk to my friends. So when you do actually talk to a racist Facebook uncle at a family wedding and find out, like, then then it's I get kind of incoherent because I go crazy because I'm not practiced at it. I don't. Because we're all in our bubbles all the time, I'm re- I'm really bad at conversing. I just I just start sort of I, I can't. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean Trump's not that bad? And I just I can't. I kind of yeah. don't know what to do really. So I probably need to get better at that. I'm not. I'm not a very. I'm actually. I'm actually bad at convincing people about things like religion and nationalism because I, I don't do it enough. To, I'm 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 a bad advocate because. I just know it and all the my friends and circle know it. And then when I'm actually confronted, as I say, with racist Facebook uncle, I kind of have a meltdown. Hey there. I thought I'd give you a bit of a break from Dan wanging on about his feelings. Ugh, pull yourself together, man. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to take this little moment to talk about some of the other things that the Life on This Project does. We love uh, putting out this podcast, uh, but what we love even more is sort of actually helping people with these uh, around these questions so that we can put it into practice. And we do that in companies. And that's what I want to speak about now. So, yeah, get in touch. Go to lifefulness.io forward slash work and go and see some of the things that we do. Uh, If you're looking for someone to go and facilitate an online meeting or uh, looking to do an away day, or just really thinking about ways that you can create connection now that 
You know, we're all distributed. We're all working remotely, all sort of losing this sense of belonging. Well, that is what gets us up in the morning. And we've got a stack of tools to help people really tap into that deep sense of connection. I feel that I've been a little too worthy about it. But, you know, this really uh, this is what we do. And it really uh, it really matters. So, yeah, if uh, you're in a company who are working remotely and want to find ways to go and create that sense of togetherness, then get in touch. Uh, go to lifefulness.io forward slash work or, yeah, just ping me an email. Sanderson at lifefulness.io. And uh, Yeah, it would be awesome to see if we can help you in some way. All right, then back to the actually amazing Dan. I've got one mate who, it's such a weird thing. We, he's (laughs) into his stag do. I'm going to not try not to give too many details, but uh, we, it was like a game of Mr. and Mrs. where like someone had to, his wife had been asked what this guy's almost said his name uh uh biggest fears were and and then he was like uh climate change and we're like i mean like he works in sustainability and then he was and then he was like bats uh and then and then he said uh unfettered immigration (laughs) And I, I, again, I thought he was joking. So I turned to my mate and I was like, I, I said, no, I said it aloud. And I went, oh, why don't you just say Islam then? Because I thought it was a joke. And the guy next to me jabbed me in the ribs and said, if you know the answers, don't say them. So I was like, who is this person with such a weird array of beliefs? Like climate change, Islam and unfettered immigration. Like that, I don't get how the Venn diagram sort of, Venn diagrams don't interlock, but, uh, but yeah. In almost fair play to like, I wish I was, I wish I had that kind of original thinking. Like I'm, I'm so pretty, I'm such a kind of cut out and paste sort of lefty on Twitter. Like, I mean, I use that term very cautiously, but like, yeah. I just kind of go, oh, you know, I hate Donald Trump, Brexit and climate change. You know, whereas like, yeah, it's amazing yeah, to, yeah. to be able to hold those dissonant things in your head at the same time. Yeah, there's a bit of me, which like really, because there are some folk who are against abortion who are not religious at all. And it is a yeah, philosophical yeah. position that they have arrived at. And, you know, they're totally atheist. They like, and they, they just think that it's the right thing to do. And I'm like, well, you know, well done for you because you have like, you're not getting to invited to any extra dinners for making that decision. Like there is no, you know, like there's no virtue being uh, heaped on you there. No one is like, oh, great. Thank goodness. Very brave of you to disagree with us. Uh, I suppose that gets to like one of the, uh, we're, we're now a bit more freeform here. I've got some things I do want to ask you, but that, this seems to be an interesting place to kick off into the more knockabout area. It seems that a lot of these topics now are almost like we're into this place where it's almost a bit like religion and heresy. Like how, like how, can, we, how can we have these conversations if these positions seem to be sacred? Like what's the, what's the way forward? Yeah, I, I mean, I wish I knew the answer to that. I think the the way forward is is kind of um, obviously early intervention, isn't it? I mean, the way forward is is 
like the old Irish expression, if you're trying to get there, I wouldn't start from here. Um, I, I do think yeah. it's working with young people, working in 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 you know in, in school and you know, and I think I think school's done a great school does a great job of this, but. I think I think trying to persuade. I mean, I very to be honest, you know, I have got to call a spade a spade. Like, I very rarely feel I, I've met someone who's forty who is able to be persuaded on a core belief. Like, I'm a, I, I, sadly, I just don't. Mm. But barring some kind of trauma, and obviously, you wouldn't wish that on anyone. But I, and I don't want you know, I, it's sad that people would might lose their faith after the death of a child. I mean, awful. Like, obviously, yeah. you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. So, um, I, I, I my wife always jokes at me like I I tend not to try not to go into rant mode and just go banana. I, I, I think I'm probably not going to convince someone. You've got to be open to being convinced. Um, and that's one of the hardest things as a human. It's, it's super hard to just approach a subject and, and try and try and remain. Like I, I feel actually on trans rights at the moment. Like I feel I don't know enough about it and I'm, I'm, I'm available. I'm available to be convinced actually. Like I, you know, I, I feel on this on this big range of whether you know trans women are absolute women and we did that's the end of the word woman I, and i'm i'm kind of into that i'm into that possibility but i'm also into the idea that the biological definition of woman is kind of important and so i kind of try and follow it on twitter obviously just people scream at each other but i try and you're looking terrified right like no 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 i'm just like there's no like there's no mention here there's no uh you know no one's gonna jump in it feels okay but then that part of your mind of like who's gonna go and scroll through and be like oh dan jk rowling uh transphobe snow yeah, well, that's right. So I just sort of, but but that's an area I'm just thinking about an area of politics and and culture at the moment that I do feel that I'm persuadable on. But most things I'm kind of really in my trench about, and I think probably most people are. And I and I, so I think the key thing is when you're is working with young people and and and, and so for me that if if I'm if I was going to try and think of a joined up way to fight like the fake news epidemic, the rise of nationalism, it's about it's about providing teachers at schools with with learn like with with packs to to and I've talked about this with other historians like potentially trying to launch something where we just encourage like media literacy, um, uh, use of sources, um, you know, just just updating that all for the internet. And I think we haven't thought enough about that stuff. And because by the, I think you've lost them by the time they're thirty five, and if they're reading Breitbart or every day, I think I think you've probably lost them. Would be my guess. Yeah, and I mean the. Uh epistemic crisis uh that's what smart people around me are calling it uh it's it's about it's actually a crisis of ways of knowing like we don't we don't we we can't have a discussion because the whole premise of the uh civil society was that we talk about something and eventually we go oh that idea is right that idea isn't but like if you don't have the same premises you can't at all get to uh you know get to an agreed outcome uh one thing i was just thinking of like is there when was the last time that you changed your uh mind about something is there, are there any specific things that you yeah well that's what i'm thinking like about trans rights and i'm thinking that that's something i've kind of definitely explored but yeah change my mind on i think religion's probably was quite i mean religion i was about 22 23 and for me religion was 9 11 I just mm. I just watched those planes crash into those buildings and I, and I suddenly thought, you know what? They're going around saying you're kind of agnostic, you don't really know, don't really care. I think in a world where people are driving planes into buildings because they believe in like twisted religious ideas, I think people that don't basically believe in the big God in the sky, like the sky fairy, I think they need to stand up and start saying mm. that. And, and the George Bush presidency in America, like it felt... 
like in the 90s when I was growing up, everything felt like it was sort of progressing towards a basically kind of liberal Tony Blair, Bill Clinton. You know, even Russia was going through a kind of difficult but sort of liberal democratic journey at the time. Even like China was vaguely like beginning to trade on world trade terms. Oh, yeah, yeah. And once they started trading, uh, like so much better. Open up a McDonald's. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah, no nations with Starbucks. So sort of, you know, there was all these weird theories about Starbucks. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, 9-11 and George Bush together just made me think, oh, man, maybe the world isn't kind of just going to slide in the direction we want to go. So I did, I definitely like became... I became a pa- a passionate humanist and wanted to tell people about it and evangelize about it rather than rather than just going to go oh you know oh who knows eh I'm I'm a bit spiritual I'm like, I'm actually not like I'm not you know like I don't yeah, think yeah. I don't think there's a god in charge of this whole scene here and I think we should st- and I think lots of people agree with me but we and if we're going to stop the the ma- maniacs kind of running the show we need to start telling each other and and organizing mm-hmm. a bit so I think that was but that's a bit embarrassing that was a long time ago so I think I've probably, I've, 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 I might, it's not a kind of huge change, but definitely my attitude towards sexual violence, um, all that sort of stuff from, from kind of, you know, when I was younger going, yeah, no, if a girl's really waste on the dance floor, you try and, you know, you try and pull her, whatever. Now I'm, now I'm like, I've been made, I've been educated about that. And I think that that was, I, I, I so my, you know, my understanding and empathy and awareness and, but that's true of that's true of um, issues around race as well. So I don't they, they haven't. But I, I've moved. I've like I've moved on the spectrum. But I haven't. I haven't gone from being like, yay, yay Vladimir Putin to to yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. a fan. I'm very glad of the direction of travel on your attitude to sexual violence. It would have been a very different interview if you had gone. Well, you used to be totally against it. <laughs> uh, and then one thing I really like, I always find that when people are so passionate about something like you are about history, in fact, the thing that you do to keep that, like to stay passionate about it is in fact a series of practices, you know? And, you know, like if you were to, it's not like you just read a book once and went, oh, history, I'm into it. But all the different things that you do to go and connect to it. And then you lead this super meaningful life. And you also happen to be in a position where you're able to do that even more so uh, because you are talking about it on the telly, but it'd be great to like actually get into the nitty gritty around that. And so I guess I'd love to know like, what is meaningful to you about history? Why have you dedicated your life? Yeah, You know what, Sonson, that is such a good point. And I feel about this all the time. And I I often, I often meet people who are like jealous of my passion for history. And like, I wish I, and I, I don't want to say to them, but it begins, as you say, you just convince yourself, like, I didn't, you know, you go to Hadrian's wall and driving rain in February, right? And, And like I'm 23. Like I'm not a weirdo. I'd I'd rather have been in Newcastle having a beer. But you just kind of go, I'm into this, and then you go up there, and then you sort of get, leave, and then it's fine. But it, it is you. You tell yourself you're into something. I think a lot of people, men and women, who get into strange hobbies and things. I think initially it isn't just like a road to Damascus experience. Like oh, I'm suddenly into 13 visiting churches of the. You kind of just think, I need, I want to be into something. I think this is a good thing to be into. I think the UK is a very easy place to be into history because there's lots of fucking history all over the place and it's easy to access. And before you know it, like, I take my kids to these places and people are like, oh, isn't it amazing? You say, I'm like, I dragging my three-year-old around a rainy <laughs> castle, right, without a roof on it, I'm aware that it's actually 
it's not brilliantly fun, but it, I'm also aware that it becomes a culture and it becomes a thing. And then you talk about it and you laugh about it and then you go and do it again. And before you know it, it is, you, you do slightly weirdly enjoy it. And so I, I, I was, it's not like it's sort of it, that love just, it, I, I'm aware of it. And I'm aware that some days you're like, what am I doing in this mad place? Just on this kind of looking at this stone in the ground that used to be a Roman fort and trying to be excited about it. Like, yeah, I'm super yeah, yeah. excited about that stone. But I am super excited that I've sort of built a life by repetition, as you say, over and over again. I've just gone, I've just gone, I think I, I, think I like the fact that I could, I could get into history. And then I've just forced myself to, really. Um, and now it's kind of real. I've pretended for so long, or I've not pretended, but I've made myself do it for so long that now when I am in an overnight stop in Singapore or in... Czechia, like in Prague, I'll get up before filming in the morning or before connecting flight. I'll get out of bed and just go and look at a stretch of medieval wall and then go back to the hotel because it's, it's like bird watching. I mean, I can't believe they actually yeah. enjoy bird watching. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. It's so boring. But, <laughs> but I think they've worked out this kind of life hack, which it's nice to have a little passion, a little thing. You park your car, you look at a bird, you go home, you know, like it's good. Like it's a good thing to like. And, and I don't think the passion matters. Well, I don't think what it is matters as much as the kind of of doing it. And so, yeah, I've, I've fallen into this little weird thing where I, and I mix it with exercise because you go for a walk to the thing, you get up and so it's, it's, yeah. it's healthy. It's a healthy way to be. You lift up the castle a few times, get a few Do pumps some bench on. press, yeah. But you, you know, you climb over the fence to get to it. No, so, and they're often in beautiful places. Like, you know, you go and look at the castle, you go and look at the thing and, 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 and museums are nice places to be. They're, they're places that are quiet and peaceful. So I, I really do see it as a sort of choice that I've made rather than a, oh, I just was so passionate about Plantagenet history. I just had to be around it all the time, which some people are like, but I'm not. For me, it's, it's, it's in one way, it's artificial, but, it, but it's then become natural. Well, yeah, I think all of that, like, that is how meaning is, well, unless you've got the uh, opinion that there is a purpose outside of yourself or what have you, like, it, it, it comes from... Uh, activities which go and renew it and refresh it and make it real uh and so yeah if someone really gets into bird watching or tiddlywinks it's the caring about it creates the caring the meaning creates the mattering the mattering creates the meaning the when you you said that you were uh sometimes you're faced with that stone and you're like oh it's just a stone but there's other times, I, and I'm a, a history buff as well. My wife will often, when we go to a, a building or a museum, she'll be like, you don't have to read every sign. Uh, but there are some times when you go to a place and you just connect to it and it is like a visceral feeling. And I just would love to know, like, what, what is that like for you, when you're in a place, like think of some, like maybe a, what was a time or like name where you just were like, oh, this is me connecting to history and to what I do. And if there's one that you can remember. So I, I find that about, again, I don't even know where this began, but I now know like I love beautiful old historic ships, you know, those timbers, those time age timbers. So you go into the Vasta Museum in Stockholm and obviously, I, I either if I'm filming there, I'm lucky enough to be there with no one else. But if I'm not, if I'm with family, I'll go as it opens and you run through. And you usually get 15, 20 minutes by yourself in the big galleries and stuff. And it's just a little trick that we do. And then and then um, the Vasa is just like, it breaks my heart to say this. The Mary Rose is often compared to the Vasa. But the Vasa is, about, is, is 
complete and just amazing and a one like the most amazing thing it just sailed on its maiden voyage about 200 meters off the off the shore at stockholm and then just capsized and, and the last words of the last words of the captain were like for god's sake close those gun ports we don't want what happened to the mary rose to happen to us ah and then they sank <laughs> and then it sat there in the baltic in like almost zero degrees centigrade so perfect conditions for like 300 years and then was raised so it is a st- like just astonishing, like astonishing, astonishing. And then there's a there's a ship at the foot of the Great Pyramid, which most people don't go and visit for some reason. But the great, the ship that sort of brought the Pharaoh up and down the Nile is is was flat packed. It was flat packed in the pyramid, and then they uh, the J- a Japanese team unflat packed it and built it. And again, same thing. It's the it's basically the oldest ship in the world. And you go in there and no one was in there. And I had, I just, it just hits you. Like, I just love it. I love the water. I love ships. And so to when, By the way, what, when you say, the reason I'm asking these questions is it's my belief that like when people are passionate about something, there's, you've almost created a spirituality of history. Like if what you were into was God, most of the activities that you were doing would be indistinguishable from what you're doing at the moment. And uh yeah, but then it was just like you said, and then it hits me. I'd love to know, like, what is that physical sensation that you're feeling? Like, what, 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 like, what is it? So I guess if you see the Khufu ship, like, it's two and a half thousand years old. So you go in there, you, you go around the corner, and you, it does it. It's like, okay, so it is, it is the cliche, but I feel like the breath is slightly squeezed out of my lungs. I guess there's a tightening of my torso. And briefly, I feel it like a, maybe it's just harder to breathe as deeply as you usually would, and then you get control. But you... And and yeah, and, and I think so. I think it's a, a there's a physical reaction to, to coming into contact with something like that. And you're right about religion, because of course, you know, the cleverest minds of the human race at the time built cathedrals and religious spaces. I remember going, I remember going to St. Peter's in Rome when I was a kid and just and being very overwhelmed by it, like having a same a sense of that. That was a very clearly a sense of dizziness. Just just awe. And, and like I was a kid, I was like, this is too big and too just opulent to, to believe, you know, and there was singing and there was incense and there was this giant dome and everything. And that was the same thing. There's a physical reaction there. That was more dizziness. Now it's like a, a, a chest. It's like a, um, like a, a yeah, like a, a, a sort of tightening and a quickening in the chest. And then uh, I'm just so interested by this stuff. So, and it's often like things people take for granted, but I love them. Like, that's why I do it. It's like, and so what is it about looking at this boat, which is 2000 years old and you that like goes and makes you have that feeling you're just like you're looking at it and you're just like little Dan Snow in front of this so I think you are confronted with you are confronted so you know we talked earlier about people don't want to sort of look at evidence if it, they disagree with it when you're confronted with a ship that's four and a half thousand years old but looks like it could have been built yesterday you are confronted with the span of history and your own little place in it and the ingenuity of humans and our forebears and the that dealing with they were dealing with the same challenges we are now moving heavy stuff from a to b um in but in a glamorous way you know trying trying to make it sleek trying to make it utilitarian and i so so you're just confronted with this giant the past um is is materialized so you're not looking at history but you're not really listening to someone give a lecture you're just going here's a here's a thing from four and a half thousand years ago that just looking at it makes you learn so much about who you are and who we all are i just i just love it yeah i i mean that for me like certainly when going into those spaces it 
yeah, you suddenly become so aware of your place in the universe as a human, like this weird thing. And the, the amazing thing about history is obviously like all of the, the currents which have swept us here, all of, you know, the, the egos, the Ozymandiases, which have shattered in the desert, like our own idea of who we are and how important our concerns are. It's at the same time, both elevating, but also shrinks you down to a sort of nothingness. And uh, yeah, it's, and I just think that that that's, is- You're exactly right. They elevate you and they elevate your thoughts and they also shrink you. They also make you feel small and make you feel better about your own little petty concerns and worries and and i, I agree and so you just did a uh history hit worked uh uh with the university of kent on uh they had this project understanding unbelief which is the largest research project into unbelief in which has ever uh, happened and you did uh, i did some programs about uh like how unbelievers live today meet the unbelievers oh god when we did the premiere and the last one is, I just suddenly remembered this, the last one is very moving, uh, if I don't mind saying so, like interviewing people who are dying and it's just really touching. And then I speak about the, my mum who died. And as we were watching it, it then cuts to a picture of uh, me and my mum and then I realized that the version you'd been sent didn't have the right picture in. And it was in fact, just a random person and two random people. And I was crying, I was weeping and you were laughing. And I was watching this in one box. So in one screen of the zoom, one box, I had that. And then I could see your zoom and you were like laughing. And I was like, I think Sanderson's gone mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, anyway, that's changed now. Uh, but you did a history of unbelief. <laughs> What did like what did you learn about belief when you were making that? What I mean, the main lesson I learned is that even we think that the past was kind of riddled with religious homogeneity, you know, the doctrinal enforcement and everyone was a believer. But there were lots of people questioning this right from the beginning of time, right from our earliest sources. The Greek world, the medieval world, the early modern, you know, so so this has been something we're not the first people to go, what? I'm not sure this is an adequate explanation of how the world works here, guys. Um, and so that made me feel a lot better. And it felt like we were telling their stories and looking at people who were, were, had, que had questioned things. Um, and, uh, and that, I, yeah, and I think that was just, just to, because it's like with anything, whether it's tech or whether it's unbelief, it, it's easy to think it doesn't have a history and then that delegitimizes it. But actually, all the, the, it does. It does. Unbelief has a powerful history of philosophers back in ancient greek like Milita, like them in the miletan enlightenment just going well hang on you know what maybe maybe we should be thinking about atomic theory more than more than these gods on mount olympus you know and i and so that, that inspired me who were the some of the characters in the miletan uh, uh inquiry miletus uh like is that the beginning and the end of it or like what were the what why did that one spring to mind for you oh uh, well because there were these amazing um that just is a um, it's it's a it's a enlightenment that um, that most the Athenians get the credit for, like your Aristotles and and your Socrates, your Aristotles, your Socrates, your blooming Socrates. But these amazing people, uh, like Her Heraclitus, I think there's one called Anax Anaximenes. I can't, I can never pronounce his name. Oh no, Anaximander. 
um, and Axel Mader, who's an extraordinary. I think, and the most sadly, so much of their work's been lost. But you know, right? They, they were just these. They were extraordinary philosophers, and they were just watching. To be honest, sometimes you think philosophy was a bit easier back then because they were sitting on riverbanks, <laughs> they were watching dust particles or pollen or whatever in the sunlight, and seeing the kind of random course it would take through the air. And they were thinking maybe the air is just full of little tiny objects all bouncing together at random, you know. And and so coming up with the first idea of like atoms, thing like that. So, so I and I just I just thought that was awesome. And but I also made me a bit jealous because I'm like I reckon I could have done. I reckon I could have basically been. Come on, it could have been the the, the Danis Noahs. Yeah, but like now, no chance, right? Because to you know to push back the frontiers of the knowledge now, I mean you've got to be doing. You've got to have a particle accelerator in your guard. I mean you've got to be absolutely on it. You've got to be a yeah. genius like Stephen Hawking. Whereas back then, I think, could I have lain on this riverbank and thought, I reckon that dust particle is doing something a bit odd. It's basically like pub musings, but if you write them down in uh, 2000 BCE, you're uh, an absolute genius. The, uh, you actually, when you mentioned a, uh, their work that had disappeared, uh, I, I was thinking of doing, I was going to end on a couple of, uh, a few historical and meaningful questions. And this one was taken off the uh, list. Uh, but then, as you mentioned it, thought it would be uh, a good thing to ask. It's sort of like the, I wanted to do a version of, you know, who would you have for dinner? Historical, but like less boring than that because, you know, you've been asked that a million times. Uh, so what sort of, what book or piece of historical evidence that has disappeared uh, or sort of like historical relic would you love uh, if it still existed? That is an absolutely brilliant question and no one has ever asked me that before and, and it is just, it's one, it's one that historians play, that's the, that's the, um, the strange uh the, the the strange little game that historians like to play um and the answer is i mean you've 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 opened absolute uh, can of worms here buddy um because there is the emperor hadrian wrote a biography like an autobiography that we think is um a real page turner no no well yeah, i mean yeah but no th- but like a written it was and we we think it for some we think it was his uh, quite honest um because really? it was designed for his successors it was not designed for publication uh, and so to have one of the most important men of the classical world, the most powerful emperors of all time, you know, of, of the classical world, write down a, 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 you know, an honest account of their life. I mean, it'd be amazing. It would beat the old uh, current, you know, MP's wife bar- um, autobarg into a cocked hat, I think. But there's another one, which is the, the, the Journeys of Pythias, which is the, a classic, a Greek geographer from Marseille in France. Mm-hmm. So it used to be a Greek colony, Marseille. And he went, we think he went all the way around Great Britain and we think he got to, and he may have got to the Arctic. Uh, we think he probably did get, Whoa. because he describes the midnight sun. So he's the first person who ever writes about 24-hour sunlight. Um, and so we, we, and we just don't know, uh, we only know about him through the writing of others. Uh, Pythias of, of Marseilla, modern Marseille. And, and it just is, just is the coolest thing ever. To have that would be... Uh, you know, the best. Okay, great. Okay, so this one has got a bit more setup. This is the one I actually went with. Uh, so uh, I just have to make sure that I get it right. It's 1575, six years after the Catholic led rising in the North, which made Queen Elizabeth I implement the death sentence for practicing Catholic priests. The Jesuit lay brother and uh, uh, craftsman began building priest holes in English country houses where priests could hide from priest hunters. 
by the way, I just thought that Priest Hunter would be a good name for a superhero of some type. Uh, okay, and so this is the scenario you're in. You, a Catholic priest, have to hide with four other priests for seven days while the house is searched. Choosing from any historical figures through the whole of time, who are the four worst people in history to be locked in a room with for a week? Wow, okay. The four worst people. That's basically the main part of that. The, the rest was just window dressing. Four worst people in history to share uh, a room with for a week. I think, I think Mussolini would have been complete. I mean, I think at the risk of going with the old GCSE syllabus, you could do a lot worse than just uh, than many of the great dictators of the 20th century. But I think Mussolini would have been completely intolerable. Um, I think Nap old, an old Napoleon... I mean, the, the board we got, as we've talked about today, sounds like people are different at different times of their lives and careers. Um, I know I am. And Napoleon, the young Napoleon would have been quite fun, but the old Napoleon was just depressed, angry, um, embittered, uh, he was in great pain so I'd go Mussolini and old Napoleon I think Donald Trump is, is up there I think he just appears oh to be a man gosh, yeah really awful um, having just watched the, the debate first debate with Joe Biden in which he was extremely rude about both his son who, who died of cancer and his son who's a recovering um, drug addict uh, just made just made me think he's a man without compassion and, and without any redeeming features that's the nicest way that he's been described really there's uh yeah 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 yeah. there's there's the sort of three pints or not even three pints just not on a podcast description of him which is far more accurate and then i know these are all quite modern i funny enough i ted cruz is the u.s senator for texas who his own republican colleagues apparently hate so much that one of them famously said if he was stabbed on the floor of the senate None of us would act as eyewitnesses. Like, I mean, you just think, my God, how, how disliked could that man actually be? So, and I know, I, sorry, I should think of more people from, from deeper history, but those are, the one, those are the ones that just suddenly sprang to mind. I think George IV was a bit of a twat, to be honest. Um, George IV is madness of King George, sort of. Just sort of he's, the, he's the dandy prince. But yeah, again, although possibly he was quite nice, he collected lots of nice furniture and had a good time. But I, I think he would have—I think he would have been a pretty difficult person to sit in a room with, probably. I mean, I think Ted Cruz, Mussolini, Donald Trump, uh, and an aging Bonaparte would be a truly awful week. Uh, the uh, that game was called—I uh, don't get—it doesn't really have a name, but uh, I'm glad that we played it. Uh, and so, uh, hey there, thanks so much for chatting today. It's been super great. Uh, where can people go and find you uh, online and go and follow you? And are there any exciting projects that you've got coming out very soon or what have you? Yeah, well, I've got um, the History Hit podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, is, is just great. It's been a great, a great blessing to me. And as um, despite the anxiety of its genesis that I talked about earlier, has proved to be the most exciting and rewarding thing I've ever done professionally and therefore a lesson to all of us, which is sometimes the pain and the anxiety of starting something uh, actually correlates to maybe, maybe it means it's worth fighting for and it's worth, it's worth struggling because um, the rewards are there on the far side, everybody, I'll tell you. Um, and so that's just basically it. History is the, is the way to go and, if, yeah, and the musings on Twitter at the history guy. But thank you. 
All right, awesome. Uh, I would like to leave you with a blessing. Uh, Dan Snow, I would like to uh, hope that you are able to go out into the world with your heart full of history uh, and your uh, head uh, full of connection to everything in the past and that you are able to go and find community in your yacht club, uh, in your sailing club. Yacht club sounds too elitist, uh, that you are able to be connected to all of those around you uh, who uh, you love and that when your anxiety strikes, uh, you are able to find comfort in knowing that it happens to everyone and that uh, you are able to live the rest of your life uh, bringing humanism uh, and history to whoever you meet but not in an annoying preachy way oh well wasn't that fun you could probably tell from that conversation that i was having a super time he's a very interesting guy and if I can combine history with talking about meaningful practices, uh, with, you know, having sort of open and vulnerable conversations, then I am happy as a P in S. And uh, I really hope that came across. I was just, yeah, at the end of the podcast, uh, what happens if this is your first time here? Welcome, make yourself at home. Uh, yeah, every week there's the credits, super exciting, but also talk about what's been happening in the Lifefulness Project, because, you know, this is a new project. And so I want to bring you another journey. Uh, and then also about the community, because this is, you know, it's like the podcast is really important to us. We really want you to believe everyone should find something in there for you. But, you know, we want to bring people together and be able to have the sort of conversations that we're having or that Dan and I had. So... Last week in Life on This Project News, yeah, I'd had a COVID test. My therapist almost fired me. And then uh, I'm COVID negative, uh, really against it, very down on the old COVID. Uh, and so that's good news. Just was a good week. I think starting to get into a bit of the rhythm with the podcast. Uh, had, yeah, did a couple of uh, sessions with companies last week, which was good. Had one cancelled this week. So, yeah, there's still, like, <laughs> losing all live work has been just quite a thing. But, yeah, it has been a good week. What was it? I think it's one of those ones where there's not a huge amount to report on. Oh, uh, well, this sort of leads into the next part. And like a few things got pushed back. So the first cohort of the uh, community in the small groups was sort of just coming together. And yeah, we've had some applications for that. There's some people who will be starting, which is good. And uh, if you would like to join the small groups, go to lifefulness.io forward slash membership. It is going to be a small group which meets once every two weeks, a sort of combination of like people holding you to account and supporting you and inspiring you, but then also a discussion uh, group of the sort of big ideas uh, which come up in the podcast. And so we're going to be starting off small, starting off with one group, then adding a couple more. But the idea is to have these little cells. Cells is always used by uh, terrorists, isn't it? But the idea is to have these little cells in a positive way to sort of start to have those real relationships. And it's going to be online at first, but then uh, hopefully when there's enough people nearby, it can go to in person. And then when there's enough little small sort of like 
groups nearby, then then it can go and like create communities. So that's the idea. Uh, go to lifefulness.io forward slash membership to go and apply. And I think that's all the updating uh, I can do at this stage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My therapist and I now getting back on again. Uh, that's a whole other thing to talk about. Uh, it did a lot of crying, did a lot of crying. Oh, the shame. I had to deal with my shame. Uh, so there we go. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I just really want to say, particularly listening this far, it's been such a delight to do this and can't wait to do more of it with you. If you want to go and have conversations about this, please go to the Lifefulness Project on Facebook or Instagram. We're really going to start to push more conversations there or the Lifefulness Project, P-R-J-T, on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Sanderson Jones. James is at Croft Speaks. Uh, and James is the person I always like to thank first in the credits because without him... Well, this would just be a lot harder and worse. And then there's Mavs, who does the production. There's Will Andrews, who does the artwork. And Roman Rapak and Miro Schott have created the excellent music, which you are listening to right now. Thanks so much. Bye.